0: Section fourteen of a woman's journey around the world. This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A woman's Journey Round the World by Ida Laura Pfeiffer. Chapter eight. China Part three. The longest trip that can be made from Canton is one twenty miles up the Pearl Stream and Mr. Agassiz was kind enough to procure me this pleasure. He hired a good boat, which he furnished abundantly with eatables and drinkables, and invited a missionary, who made the trip several times, Herr von Karlovitz, and myself. The company of a missionary is as yet by far the safest escort in China. These gentlemen speak the language. They become gradually acquainted with the people, and travel about with hardly any obstacle to speak of all around the vicinity of Canton. About a week before we had decided on going, a few young gentlemen had endeavoured to make the same excursion, but had been fired upon from one of the fortresses that lie on the banks of the river, and compelled to turn back half-way. When we approached the fortress in question, the crew of our boat refused to proceed any further, until we had almost employed violence to make them do so. We also were fired into, but fortunately not until we were more than half past the fortress having escaped the danger we pursued our course without further interruption landed at several hamlets visited the so-called heron pagoda and took a good view of everything that was to be seen the scenery all round was charming and displayed to our view large plains with rice sugar and tea plantations picturesque clumps of trees lovely hills and more elevated mountain ranges rising in the distance on the declivities of the hills we beheld a number of graves which were marked by single upright stones the heron pagoda has three stories with a pointed roof and is distinguished for its external sculpture it has no balconies outside but instead of this a triple wreath of leaves round each story in the first and second story to which access is gained by more than usually narrow stairs are some small altars with carved idols we were not allowed to go into the third story, under the excuse that there was nothing to be seen there. The villages we visited resembled more or less that we had seen near the halfway pagoda. During this journey I was an eye witness of the manner in which the missionaries dispose of their religious tracts. The missionary, who had been kind enough to accompany us, took this opportunity of distributing among the natives some seeds that should bring forth good fruit he had five hundred tracts on board our boat and every time that another boat approached us a circumstance that was of frequent occurrence he stretched himself as far as possible over the side with half a dozen tracts in his hand and made signs to the people to approach and take them if people did not obey his summons we rowed up to them and the missionary gratified them with his tracts in dozens and went his way rejoicing in anticipation of the good which he did not doubt they would effect whenever we arrived at a village however matters reached even a higher pitch the servant was obliged to carry whole packs of tracts which in a moment were distributed among the crowd of curious who had quickly gathered round us everyone took what was offered to him as it cost nothing and if he could not read it the tracts were in chinese he had at least got so much paper the missionary returned home delighted he had disposed of his five hundred copies What glorious news for the Missionary Society, and what a brilliant article for his religious paper he no doubt transmitted to Europe. Six young Englishmen made this same expedition up the Pearl Stream six months later, stopping at one of the villages and mixing with the people. Unhappily, however, they all fell victims to the fanaticism of the Chinese. They were most barbarously murdered. There was now no trip of any distance left, but one round the walls of the town of Canton, properly so called footnote the town of canton is nine miles in circumference it is the residence of a viceroy and divided by walls into the chinese and the tartar town the population of the town itself is reckoned at four hundred thousand while it is calculated that sixty thousand persons live in the boats and champans and about two hundred thousand in the immediate vicinity the number of europeans settled here is about two hundred and footnote this too i was shortly enabled to undertake through the kindness of our good friend the missionary who offered to come as guide to herr von karlovitz and myself under the condition however that i should put on male attire no woman had ever yet ventured to make this trip and he thought i ought not to venture in my own dress i complied with his wish therefore and one fine morning early we set out for some distance our road lay through narrow streets or alleys paved with large flags in a small niche Somewhere in front of every house we saw little altars from one to three feet high, before which, as it was yet early, the night lamps were still burning. An immense quantity of oil is necessarily consumed in keeping up this religious custom. The shops now began to be opened. They resembled neat entrance halls, having no front wall. The goods were exposed for sale either in large open boxes or on tables, behind which the shopkeepers sit and work. In one corner of the shop, a narrow staircase leads up into the dwelling-house above here as in turkish towns the same regulation is observed of each trade or calling having its especial street so that in one nothing but crockery and glass in another silks and so on is to be seen in the physician's street are situated all the apothecary's shops as well as the two professions are united in one and the same person the provisions which are very tastily arranged have also their separate streets. Between the houses are frequently small temples, not differing the least, however, in style, from the surrounding buildings. The gods, too, merely occupy the ground floor, the upper stories being inhabited by simple mortals. The bustle in the streets was astonishing, especially in those set apart for the sale of provisions. Women and girls of the lower classes went about making their purchases, just as in Europe. They were all unveiled, and some of them waddled like geese, in consequence of their crippled feet, which, as I before observed, extends to all ranks. The crowd was considerably increased by the number of porters, with large baskets of provisions on their shoulders, running along and praising in a loud voice their stock in trade, or warning the people to make way for them. At other times, the whole breadth of the street would be taken up, and the busy stream of human beings completely stopped by the litter of some rich or noble personage proceeding to his place of business but worse than all were the numerous porters we met at every step we took carrying large baskets of unsavoury matter it is a well-known fact that there is perhaps no nation on the face of the earth equal to the chinese in diligence and industry or that profits by and cultivates as they do every available inch of ground as however they have not much cattle and consequently but little manure they endeavour to supply the want of it by other means, and hence their great care of anything that can serve as a substitute. All their small streets are built against the city walls, so that we had been going around them for some time before we were aware of the fact. Mean-looking gates or wickets, which all foreigners are strictly prohibited from passing, and which are shut in the evening, lead into the interior of the town. I was told that it has often happened for sailors or other strangers during their walks to penetrate through one of these entrances into the interior of the town and not discover their mistake until the stones begin flying about their ears after threading our way for at least two miles through a succession of narrow streets we at length emerged into the open space where we obtained a full view of the city walls and from the summit of a small hill which was situated near them a tolerably extensive one over the town itself the city walls are about sixty feet high and for the most part so overgrown with grass creeping plants and underwood that they resemble a magnificent mass of living vegetation the town resembles a chaos of small houses with now and then a solitary tree but we saw neither fine streets nor squares nor any remarkable buildings temples or pagodas a single pagoda five stories high reminded us of the peculiar character of chinese architecture our road now lay over fertile eminences varied with fields and meadows in a high state of cultivation many of the hills are used as cemeteries and are dotted over with small mounds of earth walled in with stone flags or rough-hewn stones two feet high frequently covered with inscriptions family tombs were also to be seen dug in the hill and enclosed with stone walls of the shape of a horseshoe. All the entrances were built up with stone. The Chinese do not, however, bury all their dead. They have a remarkable way of preserving them in small stone chambers, consisting of two stone walls and a roof, while the two other sides are left open. In these places there are never more than from two to four coffins, which are placed upon wooden benches two feet high. The coffins themselves consist of massive trunks of trees hollowed out the villages through which we passed presented an animated appearance but appeared poor and dirty we were often obliged to hold our noses in passing through the lanes and squares and very frequently would fain have closed our eyes as well to avoid the disgusting sight of people covered with eruptions of the skin tumors and boils in all the villages i saw poultry and swine in great numbers but not more than three horses and a buffalo cow. Both the horses and the cow were of an extremely small breed. When we had nearly reached the end of our excursion, we met a funeral. A horrible kind of music gave us warning that something extraordinary was approaching, and we had hardly time to look up and step on one side before the procession came flying past us at full speed. First came the worthy musicians, followed by a few Chinese. Next, Two empty litters, carried by porters, and then the hollow trunk of a tree, representing the coffin, hanging to a low pole, and carried in a similar manner. Last of all were some priests and a crowd of people. The chief priest wore a kind of fool's cap, with three points. The other persons, who consisted of men alone, had a kind of white cloth, bound round their head or arm. Footnote the Chinese adopt white for mourning. End of footnote. I was lucky enough to be enabled to visit some of the summer palaces and gardens of the nobility. The finest of all was certainly that belonging to the Mandarin Hao Kwa. The house itself was tolerably spacious, one story high, with very wide splendid terraces. The windows looked into the inner courts, and the roof was like those in European buildings, only much flatter. The sloping roofs, with their multitude of points and pinnacles, with their little bells and variegated tiles, are only to be found in the temple and country houses, but never in the usual residences. At the entrance there were two painted gods. These, according to the belief of the Chinese, keep off evil spirits. The front part of the house consisted of several reception rooms, without front walls, and, immediately adjoining them, on the ground floor elegant parterres, and on the first floor magnificent terraces which were also decorated with flowers and afforded a most splendid view over the animated scene on the river the enchanting scenery around and the mass of houses in the villages situated about the walls of canton neat little cabinets surrounded these rooms from which they were only separated by walls that in many cases were adorned with the most artistic paintings and through which the eye could easily penetrate the most remarkable of these walls were those composed of bamboos which were as delicate as a veil and plentifully ornamented with painted flowers or beautifully written proverbs a numberless quantity of chairs and a great many sofas were ranged along the walls from which i inferred that the chinese are as much accustomed to large assemblages as ourselves i observed some armchairs most skilfully cut out of a single piece of wood others with seats of beautiful marble slabs, and others, again, of fine-coloured tiles or porcelain. Among various objects of European furniture we saw some handsome mirrors, clocks, vases, and tables of Florentine mosaic or variegated marble. There was also a most extraordinary collection of lamps and lanterns hanging from the ceilings, and, consisting of glass, transparent horn, and coloured gauze or paper, ornamented with glass beads fringe and tassels nor was there any scarcity of lamps on the walls so that when the apartments are entirely lighted up they must present a fairy-like appearance as we had been fortunate enough to reach this house without being stoned we were emboldened to visit the mandarin Hauqua's large pleasure garden situated on a branch of the pearl stream about three-quarters of a mile from the house we had however hardly entered the branch of the river Before the crew wanted to turn back, having observed a mandarin's junk with all its flags hoisted, a signal that the owner himself was on board, they were unwilling to venture on conveying us Europeans past the vessel for fear they should be punished or stoned to death along with ourselves by the people. We obliged them to proceed, passed close by the junk, and then landed and continued our excursion on foot. A large crowd of people soon collected in our rear. And began pushing the children up against us in order to excite our rage but arming ourselves with patience we moved quietly on and reached without any accident the garden gates which we instantly closed behind us the garden was in a perfect state of cultivation but without the least pretension to taste in its arrangement on every side were summer houses kiosks and bridges and all the paths and open spots were lined with large and small flower pots in which were flowers and dwarf fruit trees of every description the chinese are certainly adepts in the art of diminishing the size of or rather crippling their trees many of which very often scarcely attain a height of 3 feet these dwarf trees are very prevalent in their gardens and preferred to the most magnificent and shady trees of a natural size these lilliputian alleys can hardly be considered in good taste but it is most remarkable with what a large quantity of beautiful fruit The tiny branches are laden. Besides these toys, we observe figures of all descriptions, representing ships, birds, fish, pagodas, etc., cut out of foliage. In the heads of the animals were stuck eggs, with a black star painted on them to represent the eyes. There was also no scarcity of rocks, both single and in groups, ornamented with flower-pots, as well as little figures of men and animals, which can be removed at pleasure so as to form new combinations, a kind of amusement of which the Chinese ladies are said to be very fond. Another sort of entertainment, no less popular as well among the ladies as the gentlemen, consists in kite-flying, and they will sit for hours looking at their paper monsters in the air. There is a large open spot set apart for this purpose in the garden of every Chinese nobleman. We noticed an abundance of running water and ponds, but we did not observe any fountains as everything had passed off so well herr von Karlowitz proposed that we should go and see the garden of the mandarin Puntinqua, which i was very anxious to do so as the mandarin had ordered a steamboat to be built there by the chinese who had resided thirteen years in north america where he had studied the vessel was so far advanced that it was to be launched in a few weeks the artist showed us his work with great satisfaction and was evidently very much pleased at the praise we bestowed upon him for it he attached great importance to his knowledge of the english language for when herr von Karlowitz addressed him in chinese he answered in english and requested us to continue the conversation in that idiom the machinery struck us as not being constructed with the usual degree of neatness for which the chinese are famous and also appeared far too large for the small vessel for which it was intended neither i nor my companion "'would have had the courage to have gone in her "'on her experimental trip. "'The Mandarin, who had the vessel built, "'had gone to Pekin to obtain a button as his reward "'for being the first person to launch a steamer "'in the Chinese Empire. "'The builder himself will, in all probability, "'be obliged to rest contented with the consciousness "'of his talent. "'From the shipyard we proceeded to the garden, "'which was very large, but greatly neglected. "'There were neither alleys nor fruit-trees, "'rocks nor figures.' but to make up for these an insufferable quantity of summer-houses, bridges, galleries, little temples, and pagodas. The dwelling-house consisted of a very large hall, and a number of small chambers. The walls were ornamented both inside and out, with carved wood, and the roof abundantly decorated with points and pinnacles. In the large halls, plays and other entertainments are sometimes enacted for the amusement of the ladies who are universally confined to their houses and gardens which can only be visited by strangers in their absence footnote noble chinese ladies pass a much more secluded life than eastern women they are allowed to visit one another very seldom and that only in well-closed litters they have neither public baths nor gardens in which they can meet End of footnote. a number of peacocks silver pheasants mandarin ducks and deer are preserved in their gardens in one corner was a small gloomy bamboo plantation in which were some family graves and not far off a small earthen mound had been raised with a wooden table on which was a long poetical inscription in honour of the favourite snake of the mandarin which was buried there after duly inspecting everything we set off on our road home and reached there in safety i was not so fortunate a few days later on visiting a tea factory the proprietor conducted me himself over the workshops which consisted of large halls in which six hundred people including a great many old women and children were at work my entrance occasioned a perfect revolt old and young rose from work the elder portion lifting up the younger members of the community in their arms and pointing at me with their fingers the whole mass then pressed close upon me and raised so horrible a cry that i began to be alarmed The proprietor and his overseer had a difficult task to keep off the crowd, and begged me to content myself with a hasty glance at the different objects, and then to quit the building as soon as possible. As a consequence of this, I could only manage to observe that the leaves of the plant are thrown for a few seconds into boiling water, and then placed in flat iron pans, fixed slantingly in stonework, where they are slightly roasted by a gentle heat, during which process, are continually stirred by hand. As soon as they begin to curl a little, they are thrown upon large planks, and each single leaf is rolled together. This is effected with such rapidity that it requires a person's undivided attention to perceive that no more than one leaf is rolled up at one time. After this, all the leaves are placed, once more, in the pan. Black tea takes some time to roast, and the green is frequently coloured with Prussian blue, an exceedingly small quantity of which is added during the second roasting last of all the tea is once more shaken out upon the large boards in order that it may be carefully inspected and the leaves that are not entirely closed are rolled over again before i left the proprietor conducted me into his house and treated me to a cup of tea prepared after the fashion in which it is usually drunk by rich and noble chinese a small quantity was placed in a china cup boiling water poured upon it and the cup then closed with a tightly-fitting cover. In a few seconds the tea is then drank, and the leaves left at the bottom. The Chinese take neither sugar, rum, nor milk with their tea. They say that anything added to it, and even the stirring of it, causes it to lose its aroma. In my cup, however, a little sugar was put. The tea plant, which I saw in the plantations round about Canton, was at most six feet high. It is not allowed to grow any higher, and is consequently cut at intervals. Its leaves are used from the third to the eighth year, and the plant is then cut down, in order that it may send forth new shoots, or else it is rooted out. There are three gatherings in the year, the first in March, the second in April, and the third, which lasts for three months, in May. The leaves of the first gathering are so delicate and fine that they might easily be taken for the blossom, which has no doubt given rise to the error that the so-called blossom or imperial tea is supposed not to consist of the leaves but of the blossom itself footnote. the leaves of this gathering are plucked with the greatest care by children and young people who are provided with gloves and are bound to pick every leaf separately End of footnote. this gathering is so hurtful to the plant that it often perishes i was informed that the tea which comes from the neighbourhood of canton is the worst and that from the provinces somewhat more to the north the best the tea manufacturers of canton are said to possess the art of giving tea that has been frequently used or spoiled by rain the appearance of good tea they dry and roast the leaves color them yellow with powdered curcumi or light green with Persian blue and then roll them tightly up the price of tea sent to europe varies from fifteen to sixty dollars three to twelve pounds a pickle of one hundred and thirty-four pounds english weight, the kind at sixty dollars does not find a very ready market the greater part of it is exported to england the bloom is not met with in trade i must mention a sight which i accidentally saw one evening upon the pearl stream it was as i afterwards heard a thanksgiving festival in honour of the gods by the owners of two junks that had made a somewhat long sea voyage without being pillaged by pirates or overtaken by the dangerous typhoon. Two of the largest flower-boats, splendidly illuminated, were floating gently down the stream. Three rows of lamps were hung round the upper part of the vessels, forming perfect galleries of fire. All the cabins were full of chandeliers and lamps, and on the forecastle large fires were burning, out of which rockets started at intervals, with a loud report, although they only attained the elevation of a few feet. On the foremost vessel, there was a large mass erected, and hung with myriads of colored paper lamps up to its very top, forming a beautiful pyramid. Two boats, abundantly furnished with torches, and provided with boisterous music, preceded these two fiery masses. Slowly did they float through the darkness of the night, appearing like the work of fairy hands. Sometimes they stopped, when high flames, fed with wholly perfumed paper, flickered upwards to the sky. Perfumed paper, which must be bought from the priests is burnt at every opportunity and very frequently beforehand after every prayer from the trade in this paper the greater proportion of the priest's income is derived on several occasions accompanied by herr von Karlowitz. i took short walks in the streets near the factory i found the greater pleasure in examining the beautiful articles of chinese manufacture which i could here do at my leisure as the shops were not so open as those i saw during my excursion round the walls of cantan but had doors and windows like our own so that i could walk in and be protected from the pressure of the crowd the streets also in this quarter were somewhat broader well paved and protected with mats or planks to keep off the burning heat of the sun in the neighbourhood of the factory namely and fouchan where most of the manufactories are situated a great many places may be reached by water as the streets like those in Venice, are intersected by canals. This quarter of Canton, however, is not the handsomest, because all the warehouses are erected on the sides of the canals, where the different workmen have also taken up their residence in miserable huts, that, built half upon the ground and half upon worm-eaten piles, stretch far out over the water. I had now been altogether from July 13th to August 20th, five weeks, in Canton, the season was the hottest in the whole year and the heat was really insupportable in the house the glass rose as high as ninety four point five degrees and out-of-doors in the shade as high as ninety nine degrees to render this state of things bearable the inhabitants use beside the punkas in the rooms wicker-work made of bamboo this wicker-work is placed before the windows and doors or over those portions of the roofs under which the workshops are situated even whole walls are formed of it standing about eight or ten feet from the real ones, and provided with entrances, window-openings, and roofs. The houses are most effectually disguised by it. On my return to Hong Kong, I again set out on board a junk, but not so fearlessly as the first time. The unhappy end of Monsieur Vaucher was still fresh in my memory. I took the precaution of packing up the few clothes and linen I had in the presence of the servants, that they might be convinced. That any trouble the pirates might give themselves on my account would be thrown away. On the evening of the twentieth of August, I bade Canton and all my friends there farewell, and at nine o'clock I was once again floating down the Si Kiang or Pearl Stream, famous for the deeds of horror penetrated on it. End of section 14